Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around the country and, of course, around the world as well. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, be that uh, Spotify or TuneIn or uh, iTunes, uh, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with good old-fashioned hourly updates and daily email newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is our Tech Central leader. <laughs> does that make a nice change from editor-in-chief? <laughs> it does, bit. Well, you just it's gave a... me both there, so that's not okay. bad. Actually, maybe I'll just call you President Niall Kitson. No, 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 oh, no. You don't no, want that? No, oh, right, no okay. let's not do that. It's too Trumpish for you, is it? <laughs> we, we went down that road before, and it wasn't good. It wasn't a good idea then. <laughs> so listen, we're just going to have a quick chat about what's, uh, what's been grabbing our attention in the news this week. And listen, you're a gamer, uh, and I've actually been kind of uh, keeping an eye on these announcements this week with Xbox and uh, PlayStation. What excites you about the uh, the new Xbox news? Um, I don't know if it's, if it's exciting, but I think the likes of GameStop will be sitting up and going ahoy hoy mm-hmm. um, this week. Um, Microsoft showed off the latest version of the Xbox One, so not a new console per se, just a slightly revamped version of the current one. And what's interesting is there is no physical um, um, DVD. Disk drive, yeah, yeah. There's no no um, no physical optical drive, so that's kind of uh, that's going to really, you know, retailers will be delighted about that. They won't be they won't be able to sell games for the Xbox One. Well, you see, uh, that basically what you're saying is the the games are going exactly the same way as DVDs. I mean, who has a DVD player anymore? Uh, yeah, yeah, and we talked about this in relation to Google's uh, new service and Apple's. A new service as well. I think it's Google Stadia and uh, is Google's one. And um, yeah, we're going. I mean, this whole thing is predicated on you having a really good broadband connection. You know, the idea that you'll have a subscription service and you'll be able to just play, and your console will be like your mediator, as a, as opposed to you know the end in itself. Mm. Um, personally, I think this is something Microsoft is going to stumble over in the same way that they stumbled when they announced the Xbox One and they announced everything in the context of TV, that they didn't focus on the Xbox One as being a console first and all this other stuff second. So you think it's a mistake then to uh, uh, to get rid of the disk drive? I do. Because, you know, for one, you're alienating retailers. Uh, two, you know, people are used to buying physical um, f- physical games. And then there's the secondary market as well. Well, listen, I, I don't buy any of those uh, arguments at all, except for the secondary market. But everything has gone. We've seen it go with uh, books, with Amazon and the, uh, the Kindle and all the various uh, electronic readers that we have. Uh, we've seen it go with DVDs. We've seen it go with uh, CDs and stuff like that. Basically, Microsoft are just acknowledging that the distribution method these days is the Internet and there is no need for a disk drive. And I think, regardless of what you or I think, it's just going to end up becoming a discless society, regardless of what we say. Oh, right. Okay. That's that's interesting. 
because uh, one of the things that the PlayStation was always very good at was, you know, the tagline was, this one is for the players. Mm-hmm. And they basically just stuck to the simple things a console does. And people went nuts for it. They they love it. And it is for all those reasons that you get really good graphics, really good UI, really good selection of games uh, and the secondary market. All the things that uh, actually not all the things, but you you get what I'm what I'm getting at. You Mm. know, Um, I don't think I. Yeah, I think people are still too happy with the physical product of a game that to get rid of it. Maybe it's an eventuality, but it's now is not the time. But maybe it is the time to have the discussion about what do we do after. Okay, so what is the uh, what is the state of play, if you pardon the pun, with uh, uh-huh. PlayStation when it comes to disc drives? Uh, well, I mean they they are they are going nowhere on the PlayStation, and in fact, we are getting a little bit of a hint as to what uh, the PlayStation Five uh, is going to be like. Um, there, there have been some, you know, I think it was the head of engineering. Um, uh, let me just give you a name here. Uh, but, you know, the, the PlayStation 4 has been around for six years. You know, that's that's quite a lot. That's quite a well, long time. It is quite a long time. And you know what? It's, it almost says uh, a lot about Sony and the console itself and that it's been that good that it's stayed around. And it was still a big seller last Christmas and the games were still a big seller last Christmas. And I saw a, a little a little note uh, during the week that they were talking about uh, the PlayStation 5 and what it may or may not uh, include. And one of the things that I was delighted to see that they included was backward compatibility. Oh, and, God, yes. And, but, but when they say backward compatibility, that makes me think that they're going to include the disk drive so that you can still play all of your old games. Yeah. Uh, in which case, if you want to keep uh, a, dr- a physical optical drive, yes, backwards compatibility is absolutely the way to go to to stay relevant. Uh, I think this is another win for Sony. Mm. Um, I think there there are too many games floating around out there that you know another super console will come along and it's nope. That's it. You're done. I agree. Uh, I agree. I'm actually surprised that at Microsoft uh, with the Xbox just getting rid of the disk drive because if if there was one company that was good at backward compatibility, it's Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having owned, you know, being the owner of PC gaming, basically, where people build their rigs around these things and mm. games have, uh, they can be as complex as you wish them to be, thanks to various settings on them. Um, yeah, it is quite disappointing that they are first to get rid of the optical drive. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a companion product. They'll probably argue that. I think it's the shape of things to come for Xbox. Um, I think Sony have already won the PR battle on this one. (laughs) They go, oh, there's Microsoft at it again. They want to get rid of your games. We want you to be able to play more of your games. Well, listen, even Margaret Thatcher could do a U-turn, so you never know what will happen with uh, Microsoft. Uh, Let's talk about Amazon because the reviews are in. Or maybe they're not. (laughs) Well, something that we've suspected, well, I mean, that anyone suspects about Amazon reviews, especially for brands you haven't heard of. Now, I mean, if you buy from, you know, a generic brand, and I'm not talking about Amazon Essentials because, you know, there's some sort of stamp of approval there, you know, just some obscure sounding Chinese brand. Now, do you buy and review on the assumption that, what you're reviewing is a reflection of what you got and not necessarily of what is 
objectively brilliant that you know i spent a fiver on this usb hub i'm reviewing it in the context of this thing costing me a fiver or that i bought this five euro usb hub it is the best hub ever do you know i think people come to products like that with an inbuilt sense of skepticism uh, i think you've got to read between the lines because i like i'm looking for new uh speakers just for uh, one of the rooms in the house mm. and i was looking around kind of and i was reading the reviews and there was a particularly low-end brand and they were cheap and i went ah cheap and cheerful they'll do for the job that i want i don't want to spend a fortune on it and one of the reviews was uh, i'm just new to the game and the sound quality from these speakers is awesome and i'm going <laughs> I'm sure. I, I can tell you now that it ain't. <laughs> you haven't heard good speakers, kid. <laughs> that kind of a way. But it, that, that, that's the point of view. But I think you've got to see. And actually, that's one of the things that I often wondered about travel websites, uh, regardless of, of Amazon, is what is the point of view of the reviewer? Because you're right. Uh, when somebody is going to review a hotel and they might think, oh, my God, this is fantastic. And there was showers and hot water and data. This could be their first time staying in a hotel ever. Mm, yeah, well, yeah. Compared to, you know, somebody who's used to staying in five-star hotels uh, five nights a week for, for business and who would have a, a very objective uh, view of hotel reviews. You never know. Or the other thing that, uh, you know, for any kind of review for events or things to go to or things to do or whatever, I often wonder, well, who are these people? Are, are they a family with kids? Is it a teenager? Is it somebody in their late 20s? You never know. So you don't mm. know the point of view and what the history that person may, may have. So, um, so yeah, I suppose when it comes to Amazon, it's the same thing. What kind of experience do people have when they are reviewing these things? And I'm also very sceptical about uh, a lot of these reviews for no-name Chinese goods because in the back of my head, I'm thinking, mm, something's not right here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which magazine uh, helped uncover uh, an awful lot of... Um, interesting practices shall we say that they they went in and they they had a look at um how certain brands were doing and brands that had products that were completely unconnected but were being bundled together and sort of you know it's like we make uh how would you say you know pet carriers and speakers you know and people would be like oh this is great this is great and they're fantastic at everything you know, the brands that make no sense once you put together their uh, their range of products, you know. Um, so the, the, there are two when when you and I sit down to um, review to look at reviews on a product, uh, maybe even not you and I, but but you know the the average person, so you say. Apparently, there are two sets of biases in play. There's the recency bias, where you look at the most the most recent five or ten reviews or whatever, just to get a sense of what it's like. Say this is a product with maybe 200 views on it. And there's what's called a primacy effect, where you go and look for the first impressions of the product, assuming that, you know, that the first person to get in on something is going to be completely unbiased and doesn't know about any of the baggage that the product brings to the table. Uh, that's actually quite easy to game. I mean, if, if you think that, okay, your company X, you upload your product, you immediately upload your first review that you've had prepared. And just all along, you're just throwing in these little, you know, fake positive reviews. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I know. The, the, the reviews are kind of untrustworthy and trustworthy is the, is the way I look at it. And uh, I always I always had this thing in business, in broadcasting. And the idea was, uh, if everybody loves you, well, then you're a terrible, terrible presenter. <laughs> okay. All right. Because, well, uh, how can 100% of the people love anything? <laughs> All right. That's you true. must be bland as God knows what. All right, if 100% of people mm. like you. So it was always kind of like, we always said this about Jerry Ryan, right? Uh, that about 80% of people loved Jerry. I mean, really loved Jerry and thought he was great. But then there was 20% of people who could not stand the man. Yeah. If they ever met him, they would punch him. He absolutely <laughs> riled them up so much, like, you know? Mm. And what we found was that the 20% who hated him actually listened to him even more than everybody else. Wow. Because it was fodder for them to go all day. Did you hear what that idiot Jerry Ryan said this morning? <laughs> <laughs> and it's that kind of a thing where uh, if you've got that 80-20 balance or somewhere in and around there, people are passionate about what it is you're talking about or what your product is or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's a good thing. And I always look for that in uh, the reviews of anything. I'm looking for bad reviews and good reviews. And if it's all kind of falling mainly towards good reviews, I tend to believe it. Yeah. But when I see all five-star reviews, it's like, mm, something's up here. Yeah. Well, my favourite one is four stars. Item arrived as described. Mm. <laughs> That's not very helpful, is it? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you've rated the delivery service. Congratulations. <laughs> There you go. All right, listen, that's uh, that's that's what we're chatting about uh, over a cup of coffee in the uh, in the news today. Uh Niall, thank you very much for that and uh definitely a 5 out of 5, my friend. Aha. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Health Beacon is an Irish Internet of Things company that has developed a smart sharp spin so patients can show whether they are keeping up with their medication. Since opening the Health Beacon office in 2014, Health Beacon has added over 30 jobs and continues to expand both its Irish and its global teams. The company recently signed an innovation partnership with Dublin City University to find out more uses for patient data in the development of new products. Now, Kitson caught up with Lara Kelly, who is the head of Health Beacon's data and analytical team, to find out more. Lara, for anyone that's not familiar uh, with Health Beacon, uh, I guess it's a very uh, ubiquitous product in a certain way because it's something that we all recognize, but it's using technology that naturally enough we don't. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, no problem. So, so first of all, I'll just tell you about Health Beacon. So, so we're five years old, and the company was founded by by Jim Joyce and Kieran Daly. So, Jim is the CEO, and Kieran's the CTO. So, we've launched in eleven markets. We've FDA approval, and we've more than thirty people on our team right now. Um, and what we do is we build smart tools for managing medication. Um, and so, the the one thing people always say is, "Oh, why, why do you do that?" And the reason is, is because between fifty to sixty. 60% of people all around the world don't take their medication as they're supposed to. And so what we're doing is designing products to, to help people to remember to take their medication and stay on track with their regime. 
So as you mentioned, the Health Beacon, that's our first product, and it's it's the world's first smart sharp spin. And so, so just to give you a bit of a background on this, so there's a lot of people who'd be put on injectable therapies, um, and they'd be administered in the home setting. And like historically, they would have gotten a yellow sharp spin, and they would have had this in their home, and they would have disposed their medical waste into it. And so what we did is we encased this product and made it smart using uh, IoT technology. Um, and so there are different things. So there's smart SMS reminders that the patients receive. There's an adherence score on their screen. So it would say things like Lara took 50% of her medicine that she was supposed to take. It would remind you the date of your next injection. And there'd be a light that would turn on. And then most importantly, all of the data that's collected around the health beacon is shared with the, the caregivers, so the nurses and the doctors, so that they can, they can make more informed decisions about their patient's care and also they can identify the patients that require attention. Well, what's interesting there is when you're talking about how you're gathering an awful lot of data, um, does this help you develop any sort of predictive modeling of figuring out, you know, it's a Monday, maybe Lara isn't going to take her medication today for whatever reason? uh, Or, you know, are you you looking to develop sort of a a consistent reminder network, if you will? So you, you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up on days that just naturally don't suit the patient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so we're we're capturing a lot of very uh, important data around that, and so we've actually just announced a, a partnership with DCU recently. So so Dublin City University, and this is an innovation partnership, and it's funded by Enterprise Ireland. And what we're going to be doing is building predictive patient behaviour models based on these real world insights. Um. So so that's exactly what we're going to be doing. So we've done some initial validation on this but now we're we're embarking on a project to to properly build out these models i guess that's very interesting from the perspective of industry and academia working together because we see this an awful lot in in research centers and it's it's actually becoming quite commonplace but do you find that there the intersection of uh the the uh, academic end within dcu and sort of the commercialized element with yourselves that uh, it brings together two slightly different mindsets yeah, absolutely. So DCU would have the expertise in the research, analytics, AI, and then we have this really, really unique data set, and we have expertise in the drug adherence area. So the two of them combined is creating an environment for some very exciting work. And then we're also really privileged to have input from a professor in DCU, Thomas Ward, who's a, an expert in the area. Uh- one of the, I guess, when people look at a, an IoT or a sort of a database solution for a problem, they sort of think, well, what was wrong with the old way of doing things? And I guess that sort of always boils down to the quality of the data. So, uh, what way were people sort of uh, figuring out what adherence rates were like before? Because I imagine people were presenting to their doctors, going, "Yes, yes, I've been taking um, uh, my insulin or whatever, and it's, it's clearly having no effect," but. You know, how do you know if that data or that um, interaction is accurate? Yeah, exactly. So, so 
I guess first of all, so drug adherence basically is a measure of if someone took their medication within a particular time frame. Um, and so there is, historically, there's many different ways of, of estimating this. So like one example, which a lot of people would be familiar with is self-reporting. So this is asking the patient, so did they take their medicine? So maybe a survey, maybe in an app, or maybe just even verbally in the doctor's surgery. Another method is medical possession ratio. So this is a measure of if a patient collected their medicine from the, from the actual pharmacy. But just because the patient said they did, and then also just because it was collected from the pharmacy, it's difficult to assume that they that they actually took their medicine. So, so the way the health beacon is designed is the the patient has, has always been at the core of, of our design process. And for this reason, we've designed the health beacon so it's passive. And many people are like, oh, what do you mean when you say it's passive? But what we mean is that we're not asking the patient to do anything and we don't rely on them to do anything either. So the patient is disposing their waste, their injection into the smart sharp spin and we're capturing the moment and this is our measure of adherence and in our opinion it's the it's basically the best proxy that exists for for drug adherence as a measure at the moment when you're looking at adherence do you find that it's a function of genuine interest or that people just haven't managed to integrate it into their lifestyle Oh, it's, it's a very complex problem and there's so there's so many different reasons so so sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not so intentional would be if people maybe they just chose not to because they don't think they need it or maybe they maybe they're 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 getting reactions or like it doesn't make them feel that well and then a lot of patients what we realize is that they just completely forget they don't remember so some of these medications they could be on really unusual regimes where they inject once a month some are daily some are three times a week so so it's easy to forget and um, just like all of us often forget things so so yeah so basically there's many different reasons and then different diseases and different things like that can impact it too and I guess one of the things that you need buy-in from is, on top of the academic community, is those frontline healthcare workers as well. How do you, how do you find that uh, people in, say, the nursing profession or aides are embracing this new technology? Yeah, so so the feedback to date has been really positive. Uh, so well, so so from the patients who are, who are most important, we have more than a ninety percent acceptance rate. But we we'd work with a lot of nurses and support providers who actually would would introduce the health beacon to patients in the home at the same time as they're delivering the injection training, and it, it makes their lives a lot easier as there's a whole platform sitting around the the health beacon and they can monitor the patients and follow up with the ones that actually require intention, attention rather than a catch-all approach so they can identify the hundred that need that need to be called rather than calling a thousand when only a hundred of the thousand needed a phone call and then doctors as well are finding it useful because before doctors would would just be relying on the patient's word before they decide that a medication isn't working and switching them whereas now they, they get these reports and it would say Lara and you'd see oh she took 50% of her medication last month no wonder she's not feeling better. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically it. So when you're looking at uh, Sharps Box, it's, it's an interesting kind of indirect way if you want to look at it that from a certain perspective in that it's, it's not sort of a first port of call device or, or facility, you know. Um, when it comes to getting down to things that are 
more everyday objects, I suppose, to, to return to the idea of um, diabetics who would need, potentially need uh, very close monitoring. What sort of devices do you see rolling out in the future? Yeah, so, yeah, so probably, so we're the, the Health Beacon, the whole company, what we do is we build smart tools for managing medication. So the Health Beacon is the first product, but there's there's many more products coming. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be in a position to disclose much more than that. But things like pills and all different types of medication eventually will will be able to track. And as well as hardware products, there'll also be software products and then as well data products, which naturally I'm pretty interested and excited about and when it comes to data uh, we really have to be so careful uh, in framing a conversation about it because I think when when you talk about data you can't talk about you know the the lakes the pools the do whatever you want with it Uh, especially when you're dealing with patient data so how are you finding buy-in from patients at the moment you know do you uh, sort of uh, have to explain you know first and foremost look we're taking your data but it's anonymized or you know it doesn't mean anything to us uh, we're just going to be working with it and you know uh, it's of no concern or interest to us whether Joe Bloggs is, is using this device or not yeah, exactly. It's a it's a good question. And with GDPR, we're all more tuned in than ever to that. So so we actually em- embrace this because the, the real power is our acceptance rate. So we've had over more than 90% of patients consent to the health beacon as they value the tool for themselves. And so we seamlessly fit into the, the pharma company's consenting process. And that was Nile Kitson chatting with Lara Kelly, head of Health Beacon's data and analytical team. That's almost it for our show this week. Uh, just before we go, Nile's still here with our one more thing. The one thing we didn't get to chat about in the podcast, but is available on the website. What's that? Yeah, uh, a rare plug for a, a blog post that I did. Uh, in which case, I would just ask you to pay attention to it. Hey, attend. Oh, oh, yes, I read that only yesterday, actually. Very good article, I have to say. Five out of five again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the one generally about, like, we were just being bombarded with so much stuff, trying to pay attention and attention levels and all that kind of stuff, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can get the lowdown on that. I highly recommend it. Uh, Along with all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.